whether they're on staff at your church or you're just trying to recruit them into ministry positions. So how do we engage them effectively? Really where my passion for this topic began was I was working at North Central University, which is an Assemblies of God school. We have all these young people come to our school passionate about serving God. They have a call on their life. They want to be in ministry. They go through four years of school and they're coming to my office um, debriefing their internship experiences, their volunteering experiences, and really being frustrated with the local church. And then they graduate with thousands and thousands of dollars of debt with a degree in theology or pastoral ministries. They go into the local church, and with two or three years, they've dropped out of ministry, sometimes out of faith, and are a barista at Starbucks because they have a degree in in theology. And where else do you get a job? And so what spurred my initial research on this topic was I felt it was an ethical imperative for us. We're charging students you know, to get this degree, and we need to understand why they're staying in the church. So what I did was I interviewed millennials in ministry positions in churches, nonprofits, missions agencies all over the world. And um, that's really kind of what my book um, is about. So the first half of it is just kind of about millennials in general. The second half is how do millennials have a different view of ministry in the church? And what I found is it really is a cross-cultural experience. Like Dave said, I grew up on the mission field, and so I learned about you know cross-cultural communication. Younger generations are truly growing up in a different culture than older generations, and so we have to approach it um, that way. So one thing I'll just highlight quickly, um, this is my Twitter handle, my website, my Facebook page. I threw some uh, business cards out around there. Um, I have some more here. I also have a table out in the display area. Um, and uh, I have an email newsletter that if you're interested in signing up for, um, you can. there's some little yellow cards that you can just put your name and email on. Um, or if you have a business card, I'll pass this around at the end, and I'll actually do a drawing for two free books. So uh, if you're interested in that. But let's go ahead and jump in. So why is intergenerational understanding so critical right now? Like I said, um, we're experiencing... A cross-cultural shift. So I'm going to talk about that a lot more in my next um, session, which is on truth, tolerance, and tradition, and how those things are colliding. So I'm not going to get in really in depth in how relativism, postmodernism, those things are changing the fact that we do not have um, an understanding of absolute truth anymore. So when it comes to presenting the gospel, <laughs> what's right to you is right to you, what's right to me is right to me, and how do we I mean, how do we as the church even engage that? So I'm not going to jump into that topic, or I won't cover the one I'm supposed to now. So that's on my next session. But um, on kind of like really the practical level, um, we're finding that 91% of millennials, which are ages 19 to 34 roughly right now, um, employees don't expect to stay more than three years at any given job. Okay, so when you hire a millennial, whether in your job or your church, they're looking at staying two to three years. And we really want to invest in somebody for longer than that. And in the church, sometimes it's even less. I think, I'm not sure what the current statistic is. I think it's like around one and a half years for youth pastors. But when you hire someone, you want to know that they're going to be for the long haul. So in the church, how do we, first of all, engage them as a millennial, which is what all these corporations are working on, but also how do we engage their heart and their faith, not just their mind and their skills, but their heart. 
Here's really the pressing crisis for the church and many corporations. Starting in 2015, this year, baby boomers will no longer be the majority of the workforce. The majority of the workforce is now millennials. And one of the things that's happening is a lot of churches do not have good succession planning. We, are not, we don't have good mentorship and development programs to get those millennials into a place where they can take leadership, which we need them to take leadership. There are not enough Xers, which is what I am, to fill the roles that boomers are leaving. So a lot of Xers are just getting bypassed and millennials are going right into senior leadership roles. Um, Okay, if you're unfamiliar with generational breakdowns, I'll just run through this quickly. So we have the silent generation, which is roughly ages 69 and older right now. Um, and they're mostly on boards and donors and that type of thing. Uh, boomer, there are still some who are um, active ministry roles, but a lot of them have retired. Boomers are 50 to 70. Gen X, roughly 34 to 49. Millennials, 19 to 33, like I said. And then we have Gen Z and Generation Alpha that are uh, coming up behind them. So I'm really going to focus on millennials and kind of how they interact with boomers and Xers primarily. So let's just get a little survey. How many millennials do we have in the room? Okay, so you guys can go ahead and jump in and say you're wrong or you're right. <laughs> you're the experts. So how many Xers do we have in the room? Okay, boomers? Okay, any silence? Okay, good job. Way to represent. So, um, so we have a pretty good mix of the groups here. And so often one of the questions that I get from people is, well, aren't all generations the same? Like, aren't all 20-year-olds just more idealistic and zealous? And, you know, once life has banged you over the head for 20 years, you're more realistic. So why, why all the big fuss about the millennials? Well, there's several things that play into generational trends. So one of them is life cycle effects. So people who are older differ from people that are younger in this way, such as, you know, your perspective, idealistic versus realistic. Um, period effects are the other things, major events and how they affect you at a particular point in your life. So for example, the 2008 recession affected someone who was about to retire and losing all their retirement funds much differently than it affected a recent college graduate who was applying for a job, right? And for those recent college graduates, they're applying for jobs watching the people who had worked for 30 years for a corporation getting laid off, and they're going, I am not working my life, giving my life away to an organization or a corporation, which is why we see them leaving every three years. So we tend to interpret that as they're non-committal, they're not responsible. No, they just graduated at a time when they realized, I'm not going to give my life to an organization that will just lay me off when it's convenient for them. And so those are um, period effects that then carry with them for the rest of their life. Cohort effects are period effects and trends that influence young adults as they're developing their core values. And this is what I will touch on in my next workshop a lot more, and I actually write, there's a chapter on this in my book, that it's more than a generation gap. Because what we see is postmodernism hit America around the 1970s. With it, you know, you had relativism and deconstruction and all these cultural trends that if you're a nerd like me, we'll talk about in the next workshop more, but that have deconstructed our understanding of truth and what is right and what is wrong. And that has formed a completely different worldview because millennials who were born around 1980 are the first generation to fully grow up 
under this new cultural mindset that has been informed by postmodernism. And so as a result, that cohort effect is what is causing there to be such a huge gap between older generations and younger generations because it truly is a different cultural mindset. Prior to postmodernism, it really was the Enlightenment Industrial Revolution, those things that had informed the whole history of America since it became a nation. So this is the first major cultural shift that America is experiencing as a nation, and it's a little disconcerting at times. Okay, any questions on any of that? Okay, I'm gonna talk a little fast because I have a lot of material to cover, so just feel, to, feel free to jump in if you have questions. So a little bit, just to kind of give us an overview of some of the practical ways that this plays out. Um, attitudes with authority, how do those play out? You know, the silent generation, they did their job. A very loyal generation went to war, built the country. They endured uh, authority, whether it was good or bad. Boomers were very ambitious. You know, we tolerate the authority till we can replace them because <laughs> we have better ideas for how to run the world, right? So it's very much a mentality of climbing the ladder. Xers, just ignore them, okay? They'll, we're going to do our job. They're going to come yell at us. They'll leave. We'll go on and, you know, just move on. Millennials choose them. So it doesn't matter if you have a title, you have seniority, you have, you know, any credentials after your name. Do you care about me? Are you authentic? Are you skilled at what you're doing? Um, are you involved in my life? Are you, are you prioritizing my needs over the corporation? Okay, then I'll choose to follow you. It doesn't, you do not have to have a title, you do not have to have a position, you do not have to dress appropriately. <laughs> to be a leader that they will follow. Now, some of those things will get their attention, okay? So, when I'm teaching in a college classroom, I, I've experimented with wearing different outfits, <laughs> okay? And I get attention based on how I'm dressed, you know? Sometimes, though, if I dress like, you know, my grandma, I get a lot of texting in the background. If I dress like their big sister, I get a lot more attention. So, yes, those things can attract them, but that's not what keeps them. So while they can be a hook, it's not going to retain them. They have to know that you care, and then they'll choose you as um, their leader. Um, let's see, some other ones. Um, I think this one, value system, is really important for churches to understand. Where silence are conservative, boomers, it's kind of self-based. What's going to promote the things that I'm passionate about, my interests, my goals? Um, Xers are uh, the media-informed Xers value systems a lot. Xers were latchkey kids, a lot of divorced parents. So the media and friends were a big influencer for Xers. With millennials, we'll get to this, parents became much more involved. Um, and so it was not so much media, it's more family and um, parents have a huge influence. But they shop around. So you don't see a lot of millennials in membership classes, okay? Because they don't, they're not used to buying the packaged product. So if I go to Starbucks, what, what millennial orders? Just give me a grande mocha. No, 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 no. Give me a grande mocha, extra hot with soy and two shots of espresso and, you know, blah, 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 blah. They're used to customizing what they want. And so they do the same with faith and religion. I was just talking to a millennial who's on a leadership team with me and started coming to our church from another church. I'm like, so why, did you, why are you coming to our church? Why did you leave this other church? Well, that pastor, he just is really judgmental. And, you know, I could agree with this, 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 and this at the church, but not this. I was like, oh, my goodness, that's shopping around. 
So I'm going to pick and choose what I want. Often what you'll see is they go to one church for the worship, one church for the sermon, one church, you know, or down, uh, download the podcast for their favorite preacher. So they're used to doing that. That's what um, kind of uh, drives them. The role of the career, whereas boomers have been very focused on building their career, Xers, it's just an irritant to us, we have to do it. Millennials, they have to feel like it's a place to serve. So they have to feel like they're making a significant difference in the world. And one of the things that I found with um, when I was doing the interviews is a lot of times we hire the young college graduates to do the grunt work, right? The stuff that nobody else wants to do and that, you know, they put in their time so they don't have to do it anymore. But what's happening is a lot of millennials, when they're in those positions, they're quitting because that's not meaningful. They want to do mean, something meaningful as soon as they can. They can do some of the grunt work, but we've got to make sure that they have things that are of meaning to them as well. Schedules. This is important as you're planning, okay? <laughs> Try, have you ever tried to get a group of young adults to commit to a date or time? <laughs> okay, their, their schedule is volatile. Um, and I always think of when Osama bin Laden was killed, watching the TV coverage of that, and they had, you know, shots of the, white of, uh, the front of the White House, and as they were discussing everything that happened, you just saw these crowds of young adults flooding the front fence of the White House within minutes of the news going out. Well, what was happening? Texting, Facebooking, tweeting, hey, let's head over to the White House. Osama bin Laden was just killed. Yay, something cool to do. It's like midnight, you know? So they're out in front of the White House. So it doesn't, that's how their schedules work. They might be doing something, but if someone texts them or tweets them or, you know, whatever, they can drop what they're doing and just go. So sometimes you're better off, you know, stop by the booth with the apps, the church apps, you know, do that, get them connected on social media and just say, hey, it's Friday night, we're doing this. And they'll show up, you know. And if two show up or five show up, it doesn't matter. That's the other thing with young adults. They just want um, meaningful connections. So it doesn't, we sometimes think it has to be a big production. It doesn't always have to be that. Okay, um, I think the rest of this is kind of uh, technology. I mean, I think we kind of understand they employ it. The rest of us enjoy it, try to master it, or hope to outlive it. <laughs> um, view of the future this is changing. So while they were very optimistic about 10 years ago, millennials are now the most distrusting generation uh, on the planet, or in the nation's history that we have record of. So they're very distrusting of organizations, whereas about 10 years ago they were much more optimistic and trusting. Any questions on any of this? Millennials, any input? Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay. And that's the fact that you're saying that they're spontaneous, mm -hmm. meaning tweet out to them and you've got, you know, if it's three people, if it's five people, mm -hmm. you've got that. And then you're saying that they're, um, they need that meaningful connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm assuming that it's because I'm a Gen Xer. Those two mm -hmm. things have a hard time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep, absolutely. So Okay, well, I guess my point in making, and, you, and those both are true, but let me, let me back up. Like, my point with making that comment there was, if you have only three people, a lot of times older generations we measure by numbers. Okay, so that's, that's one of the big things, business versus family. The church has business versus family. Okay, so in the business mindset, if three people show up to an event, it's a failure, right? No, 
Not if those three people go to coffee and sit down and have a meaningful conversation. And do you feel like they truly, they feel like you truly care about them? You're asking authentic questions. That might be the best church event that they've attended all year. And in our definition, okay, good, thank you. Okay, so, so for them, that could be better than a large event where they walk in, nobody even sees them, knows their name. They walk back out and we're like, yes, a thousand people came. That was an awesome event. So, they, because they had a meaningful connection there. So, yes, going back, though, to, like, this um, diagram, um, relationships for them are 24-7. So, they can have a meaningful interaction with someone on a blog site or a chat room. And that can be a meaningful interaction that just happened randomly as they were following, you know, a Twitter feed and they stumbled into this place and it was a meaningful where they related or connected to someone and they got a new perspective or someone heard them or whatever, that could be meaningful. So it's a different, you're making a good point. It's very different. Um, so whereas I as an Xer, you know, one of my best friends is here with me right now and you know, I'm like, finally I can talk to someone in a meaningful way. I'm not going to pour my soul out to someone in a chat room, you know, so, okay. Um, does that answer your question? Okay, anybody else have any questions before I kind of jump into millennial traits a little bit deeper? So a few things that have formed millennial traits. You have two factors going on. So you kind of have the worldview or the mindset, which is the cultural piece, which I'll talk about in the next workshop. Here I want to talk about some of the practical things that we just did. So, you know, when you look at parenting trends, educational theories, um, so cultural techno technological trends, those are things that affect our behaviors and kind of our practical interactions. So with millennials, what happened is you had kind of the boomers who were pursuing their careers. We had the latchkey kids um, and divorcee kids that were the Generation X, kind of were ignored. Generation X was pretty rebellious and kind of disconnected from authority. Often we project onto millennials Xer responses. We're like, they don't really want to hear what the authority has to say, blah, blah, blah. That's Xers, not millennials. Okay, millennials then, we decide that's not a good approach. We need to really focus on building the self-esteem of kids, communicating that they're valuable, they're special. So you go to preschool, you are special, you are special. Yes, you are. You get a star for showing up. You get a trophy for participation. You know, we've heard these things. So everybody is special. Everyone's been celebrated. Um, so that is what kind of gives a sense of entitlement or special things. They've been told their whole lives that they're special. Kids do not raise themselves. And I mean, I just wrote a blog post on my website right now about what we're doing to Generation Z, okay? And I'm like, Lord, you think millennials are hard to manage. <laughs> Stop taking pictures every five seconds of your kids and posting them on Facebook. We're telling them they're celebrities, okay? So anyways, I can't, my, my, I have two-year-old twins. <laughs> I have two-year-old twins, so just pray for them because they have me as a mother, okay? <laughs> Where I study all the things we do to kids to make them who they are. But, um... So that really affects why they feel entitled, because we've told them that they're entitled. So we cannot hold that against them. Um, sheltered and programmed, this is a huge thing if you're managing them on a team. Because whereas, you know, my, my, our, my generation, my husband's generation, you know, he's an excellent, I mean, he and his brothers would go out in the woods for hours. His parents wouldn't even know where they were. They were building tree forts, digging tunnels, cutting through the neighbor's telephone lines, you know, doing all this stuff. And they were not supervised, you know, and their parents didn't even know where they were for hours and hours. Okay, what do kids learn when they're doing those things? They learn leadership skills. Who's in charge of building the fort? They learn exploration. They learn how to manage resources, you know. You scavenge this from your dad's garage. <laughs> you know? and, 
and you learn how to manage your time. It's going to be dark in two hours, and it's going to be dinner time. We've got to hurry up and finish this project, right? So all these skills that kids just learned through normal play. When millennials came along, because they were special, we were focusing on them. We wanted them to have every opportunity. On top of that, we felt like the world was going to be a more dangerous place. We never let them be alone. They're always under adult supervision. So they go from school to a soccer practice with a coach to a tutoring program with a tutor to a church program with a leader to a music lesson with a music teacher to back to school where there's security cameras everywhere monitoring them with their cell phone that has GPS so mom and dad know where they are. There is no free exploration. So often what happens is they don't know how to manage their own time. So I talked to one, one young man who had been on staff for like two years at a church. I'm like, so, you know, how was the beginning? Well, they put me in an office and gave me a job description, and then they left. You know, for three months I sat there, and I didn't know what to do, so I just was on Facebook and Twitter, and then I realized, well, I better figure out what I'm supposed to be doing here. You know, so they require, because we've always coached them or given them direction, they require a lot more from leaders. So whether they're volunteers or you're managing them as staff, that is a big difference, and again, it's not their fault. Um, they're very confident because they've been told they're special, because they get a trophy for showing up. I mean, millennials right now, the, I, I don't know if any of you saw, but the report just came out. They've measured the 22 developed countries on where young adults rank on various topics, and American millennials are towards the bottom on almost every competency. So the, pro, the thing is numeracy, literacy, critical thinking. So part of the problem is that we just have affirmed we don't fail. My brother's a high school teacher. We don't fail kids. You know, so we we want we don't want to hurt their self-esteem, so we never let them fail. And we don't teach them how to fail, so they don't know how to fail. So they're very confident because they've been told they're great, but then when they fail, we've never given them chances to understand how to fail successfully. So those are lessons that you're having to sometimes teach them when they're in leadership roles already. So they're confident, but sometimes fragile when they fail because no one's ever walked them through that process. And again, these are generalizations. There's always generalizations. So there are parents and teachers and kids who have learned it the hard way, you know? No one was there to even tell them they were doing a good job, so they learned how to fail the hard way. So you have exceptions, but these are kind of generalizations. Obviously, team-oriented. Everything has been team. You work on things as a team. Okay, I'm an Xer. Stay out of my way. Let me do my own work and get an A for it. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't want you messing up my grade. I don't want you messing up my project. Just let me do my thing. I'm very independent. But millennials have always worked together. They were always on team projects, team efforts. They got, they, there was a team award, you know, um, for different things. So this is one of the great assets that they bring to the church. Um, they bring many assets, but being team-oriented, collaborative, connected, informed um, is one of the great things. Pressured and driven, okay, because they've been told that they're special, that's a pretty hard thing to live up to. If I can do anything with my life, I better do something. You know, I need to achieve something great. So you often see millennials getting into positions and they want a promotion within two or three years. Well, mom and dad have paid for this education and I've had all these opportunities. I went to tutoring. I did all these things. I need, a sh I need, I need to do something. So there's this pressure to achieve. But often what we've done is we've put the pressure on who the, the doing versus the being. So when you come to church and spiritual development, as long as my picture looks great on social media, I'm making the right comments, I'm dressed right, I'm smiling, I'm doing all the presentation things right, 
um, they've just gone from program to program to program. We've not always taught them how to just be. And how would you foster a relationship with the Lord? I mean, when I worked at the Christian University, I can remember I would teach spiritual development workshops. And, you know, I would say, okay, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to fast. Okay, so if you, you know, if you have a, you know, we talk about different things, fasting. You know, maybe you need to just fast, you know, social time and spend that time seeking the Lord. Maybe you need to fast technology. (gasps) I mean, they just start trembling. (laughs) It's like to put the phone away even for an hour, two hours. I mean, most millennials, Gen Zers, are waking up with their phone. It's the first thing that they check in the morning. They check it, I, I, I don't even remember the number, but it's, it's 75 times a day or something is the number. So it's like, it is a constant companion. And so to, to disconnect from that, to just, I mean, just think about listening to the Lord. You know, what, what the things that we need to um, be addressing. So Achieving, again, it's that pressure thing. So um, wanting to build a personal resume and then family-oriented, the work-life balance thing, okay? Millennials work to live. They, uh, uh, they do not live to work. So work, if work interferes with their family, um, that is going to, that's going to be a deciding factor. So what I found with a lot of young millennials who are in ministry positions, it's not even that they're unhappy with the church or that they're unhappy with their boss, their pastor, the ministry. Sometimes it's their wife can't find a good job that she likes in the town or their kids aren't connecting with anyone in that community or they don't like the school. So they will move because they prioritize the family. So where, you know, my parents' generation who have been missionaries for, you know, 30 plus years, it was the kids, the family sacrificed for the mission, the ministry. This generation is not doing that. They're like, my family is not going to sacrifice for the ministry. Um, The ministry will will change. There's other churches to serve at. Okay, any questions on that? Yeah. Yep. Millennial generation. Um, is this where the helicopter parent thing came Yes, absolutely. So Gen Xers became helicopter parents. Some boomers. Boomers were the first helicopter parents. Gen Xers are actually were some some experts call them the stealth fighters. <laughs> okay. So yeah, but it's boomers and Xers would be like the helicopter parents. Where you know, even at the college, I I have parents calling me asking me why Johnny got an F on his paper, you know? Why doesn't Johnny come ask me why he got an F on his paper? So when you, have, when you have parents doing a lot of that stuff, it takes away from those students learning those skills, which is why they get into leadership positions and they don't know how to do those things because an adult has stepped in and done them. Yeah. Okay, and then the last one was um, the family-oriented. Is that part of the reason why we see in church family things take precedence over, that's, or attendance is low or whatever, because mm-hmm. family is so much more important. Mm-hmm. So a regular attender is now maybe twice a month. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep, they're going to spend time with their families first. You know, and so, I, I mean, I see this even with staff at our church. You know, where if there, there's a church event and there's kids in a football game, they're running the event that night, they're at the football game. You know, they've recruited other people to run the event because family is going to um, take precedent. Which, again, you know, it's very frustrating. I know it kind of creates conflict at times, but it's, it's I mean, it's kind of good. You know, in some ways, there's some things about it that are good and that we're prioritizing family. Now, we've swung kind of to an opposite extreme, so how do we find a balance with that? Yeah. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, well, these traits change and evolve as they get older because 
Yeah, I mean, some of them are going to change and some of them have already changed. Like I said, 10 years ago, they were extremely optimistic. They voted in the current governments, you know, and now, um, and now they're very frustrated with the current government. So, I mean, they've had life hit, hit them over the head several times. Um, and so now they're becoming less optimistic. So some of those things are going to change. Some of them, however, um, it's really uh, up to us because there are huge skill sets that older generations have, younger generations do not have. And I mean, the reason I'm so passionate about this is we have a window of time to pass the baton. And if we do not pass it, you know, I, I was just talking with um, my students this week. We were talking about, you know, we, I teach an argument-based research class. So we we're talking about food practices as our topic. But generations today do not know how to cook. Young people today do not know how to cook. And so what's happening is Americans are dying from diet-related illnesses because they eat primarily processed foods. Well, my grandma was the one who taught me how to pick tomatoes and can them. You know, my grandma was the one who taught me how to do all those things. But that's an example of a skill that doesn't get passed. So things like time management, how to just be still, how to, how to be responsible and ethical when no one is watching, no one is taking a picture to post on social media, okay? No one is going to like it or comment on it. We're not teaching those skills. So how do we teach, how do you teach work-life balance where there is a responsibility to the ministry or the job and to the family? How do we balance those things? Because what they've seen in older generations sometimes is a lack of balance in one direction, they're swinging the other way, which is what generations do. We go back and forth as pendulums. But there are certain skill sets that if we do not teach them, it's going to be like the art of cooking. It gets lost. And so to answer your question, there are some things that are going to change because they're those life cycle effects. And then there are other things that if we don't teach them now, they're going to be lost. So, oh, oh, that's okay. I thought that was mine. <laughs> okay. So, um, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like millennials and like our teens get looked mm -hmm. down on mm -hmm. a lot in our churches. Mm -hmm. You hear the, why don't they just put their phone down in service? And yep. They, people turn around in the rows and scowl at them. And mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. How do we overcome that? Oh, yes, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the foundational understanding, and this is why I travel around the country doing these workshops, is, is understanding. You have to start with the whole understanding. And I mean, the number one thing is teaching people, kids do not raise themselves. So whatever is being allowed, you know, is someone is allowing that. The parents are allowing that. Youth pastors are allowing it. Teachers are allowing it. We're not teaching kids. So if you have homes where there's no, there are no, and I do parenting seminars too on this. So if you, if you have homes where there are no digital contracts, there are no digital guidelines, you're not teaching kids how to manage technology, that overflows in the church. You can't ask kids in the church to teach that. So it's kind, it has to be a, a larger you know, whole-scale approach to how do we, first of all, just build understanding of some of these generational differences, and what are things that you do that drive the younger generations crazy or vice versa. Um, but, uh, 
so that I think is the starting point. Some of it we're never going to be able to completely uh, do away with. I think the more that we can have generations interacting, the better. Because I think what has happened, we've siloed all these ministries into different categories. And so kids are, they're free to just text and do all these things in the youth room. You know, so then why would they not do it in the big church? But they're not, they're not doing, we're not doing family events anymore. We're not doing things where you have older people just sitting down and hearing, why is this kid texting? Well, because the only person they feel that cares about them right now as their parents are going through a divorce is the friend on the other end of this text line, not the person sitting in the pew next to them. You know, so how can we, we have to get some integrated intergenerational approaches to ministry back in the church. And how to do that exactly, I don't know. I think that it depends on your context, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will just throw this out. I wasn't going to say this, but you know, a lot of people ask me, how do you start a really vibrant ministry for young adults or teenagers? Don't start a program. Don't do it. Okay. I talk about that here. Cut the programs. You know, if you want to do something, start out. I mean, like this is a perfect example. I was on the missions committee. We're looking around. We're like, why aren't kids coming to the missions events? Well, let's get a couple of high schoolers on the missions committee. Well, then we got the high schoolers on the missions committee. We're like, you know, they're in charge of doing all the things that they're good at. We're not. But we're hearing their hearts. We're talking about things. We're asking them questions. So what did you do today? You know, as you show up and you're chit-chatting. Well, then I'm like, oh, you're free. Come on over and babysit for my girls. So then they start babysitting for my girls. Well, then after I show up, you know, at the end, we talk for an hour when I, when I come home. And then, you know, I, oh, you feel calling to missions. Well, I was a missionary kid, blah, blah, blah. And now, like, I mean, I just had one of them come back from college where she's studying missions on Thursday and come hang out at, you know, come see me over spring break. So those, those are the ways that we have to do it. And it doesn't feel successful in our, in our business oriented minds because it's not a big program. It's just, you're just doing the life with them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so Mm-hmm. And I have my group of friends, and then so you, you're keeping those people. If you just have one kid for every one kid, you're keeping ten. Exactly. And exactly. And if you're there, <laughs> and if you're there, you're gonna connect friends in. You know, so it's it is it doesn't feel successful, but we can look at it. Okay, we can throw a big program and have a bit. You know, I mean, I have a friend who you know runs a large youth ministry. Well. She, you know, the youth ministry can be, you know, 100 kids, but how many of them are coming back as young adults? Maybe 10 or maybe 5. Well, just don't do all the big scale events or do some of them, but then direct some of your energy into just investing in 5 or 10. You know, and the, and the, and the thing about it is, is it's not glamorous. And you don't get, you don't have a position for it, you don't get paid for it, and it's often very inconvenient <laughs> in your life, <laughs> you know, um, because when they're texting you at 2 a.m. with a question, well, it was really nice when I just had a program scheduled on my calendar that I knew fit into my life, you know? And you found that most of them really just want you. Mm-hmm. Your age group just really want to know that they are cared about or who they are. Absolutely. And what's going on in their world. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, people my age, yeah. That's not our generation. Right. But <coughs> willing to teach. Willing to 
I know. And mentoring, like we often look at mentoring as just pouring into someone younger than us. Reverse mentoring has to happen these days. So, I mean, when I'm sitting there, you know, you know, when Emily came over this week, like I'm talking, listening to her life and everything, but I'm also like taking notes (laughs) as she's sharing with me because I'm like that she's given me insight into how she thinks. And, and how we can minister to her generation more effectively. And I learn things. You know, I'm like, oh, that's a really great, you know, approach. I mean, and she's such a bold girl. I just get challenged by her all the time. She's awesome, you know. So we can learn from each other, and we don't always approach it that way. Um, okay, so um, when I did my research, here's really a really quick snapshot of what I cover in the second half of my book. But we often run church as business, and that comes out of, our whole culture being based on the Industrial Revolution and big business coming to America and all that stuff. So we have all these, you know, church with excellence and the five-star church and all these things that are named after. We even name our pastors, associate pastors, executive pastors. Where is that in the New Testament? That comes right out of business lingo. You know, so when, when, when young people look at the church, it feels like it's run like a business. Um, success as numbers of bodies and members. It's all about buildings. It's about budgets. The ministry in the job is first. What young people want, and I really think a lot of us older people want this too, it's just a little bit countercultural, is we want church as family. Um, So leaders are our parents and friends. So when the senior pastor or the board members are treating young people, young leaders as staff, that's really hard for them. They want to feel like you're like a parent, a parent who's been invested in life. Those helicopter parents who have cared, who have been present, who have always been there to help them, that's what they want. Um, intimacy and informality versus like the real formal presentation and formality. That's where coffee at a coffee shop is just a, with you really investing and caring about them is more impactful than a big service with all the lights and you know, hype. It's sometimes we need to do those big things to get their attention and pull them again, again, the hook, but it's not what's going to keep them. And with this intimacy and formality, this focus on people over programs is messiness. And young adults are comfortable with messiness. They want to know all of your failings. Just talk, you know, they want to know you're not perfect and that God has still used you. And sometimes we try to present this perfect, you know, we are the ministry leaders or whatever. And they, you know, the, the, one of the most, some of the most impactful moments I've had with young adults working at colleges is when I just get up and tell them how I really am a failure. <laughs> and then they're weeping and talking to me afterwards. And I'm like, that was the worst presentation I've ever given. But it's that, it, it's okay. God can grow us and move us past that. The community, the relationships, again, the focus on service and outreach. So if, if it, we're running all these great programs in the church, but we're not connecting to the community, you are not going to keep millennials. You know, if they're walking out the door and seeing people in need outside their door who are not welcomed inside the church, uh, that's not going to happen. Okay, so those are just some of the shifting priorities. I'm just going to pause there to see if there's any, since we're running short on time, are there any other questions? Because I want to make sure we get questions answered. Otherwise, I'll... Finish up. Yeah. I have one. I feel like an extra chapter of millennial mm-hmm. generation. Yep. I'm, a, I'm 25. Okay. I'm a mother. I've okay. been married for five years. Absolutely. Um, so I feel like I was raised as an ex generation person. Mm-hmm. So I feel like the odd man out. When mm-hmm. I, because my husband and I do a young adult ministry. Mm-hmm. So, and he's the same orientation as I am. Mm-hmm. So, so we get together and we're trying to do all these things and trying mm-hmm. to match. Mm-hmm. you know, create this good blend of people and, and foster relationships 
see that that's what our generation needs, mm -hmm. but, but we don't know how to effectively do that. Mm -hmm. Because it seems like we are approaching it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. We're going at it from an exer, like, this is just mm -hmm. ridiculous, kind of almost mentality. Mm -hmm. This is, um, like you said, with the team. I don't want to do this as a team. I want to do it by myself. Yep. Yep. And everyone else in the group is like, well, I need people. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, mm -hmm. does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I don't know if I'm the only one. Like no. That, I feel like my parents were boomers. And yep. they had children late in life. Mm -hmm. So they raised us like yep. uh, next generation kids, but mm -hmm. we're really millennials. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I will just, that brings up a really good point. Um, a lot of times it's family culture that can dictate you almost feel like you're from a different generation than what your peers are. Um, oftentimes it's location. What I've heard from a lot of pastors in rural areas even is that they're reading my book and they're like, these are our teenagers, not our young adults. It's like there's a delayed, in some places in the country, there's like a delayed, um, it takes longer to get there, some of the cultural trends. And, and so you're right, or even stages of life. So I have other friends who are millennials who are parents who it's almost like it matured them quicker than some of their friends who are not. Um, so yes, there are, there are some of those differences. Yes, sir. I was going to say that I'm a boomer. Mm -hmm. When I was raised, I think uh, in between the boomer and the ex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No father. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and that would be a cusper. And, you know, somebody who kind of you straddle two generational. And I'm a, I'm a cusper because even though I was, I, you know, I, I was 32 when I stopped working at the University of Minnesota, but I was around millennials all the time, college students, and they just rub off on you. So even though I was an extra, I often felt like I thought like a millennial because I was around millennials all the time. So there's a lot of factors that can affect your mindset, you know, and again, these are kind of just generalizations. Okay, yes, ma'am. Um, I also am a customer right on the edge of 33, so mm -hmm. I'll be an extra. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I'm not an extra, I mean, that really is a family, uh, a family thing. And what it, but it, what it's reflecting is what I'm going to talk about in the next workshop, the, the cultural trends, where you really have two different worldviews that have emerged. So when that's happening, you usually have some family members who are under one worldview and other family members who are with another worldview. And so they're going to two different churches that speak to their worldview. Right, you know? and they're speaking the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Just, uh, just mm -hmm. Yes, and it's that this is where there's such there's so many elements of cross-cultural communication that come in here. And this is where churches are just I mean, I do not envy you, you your positions. <laughs> I mean, I teach I teach at my church, but I'm not in a staff position or, you know, overseeing a team because we are we are in probably one of the most difficult times right now for the church in America. Because we are bridging, this is a chasm that's opening up and we have two different sides and we have to continue to make truth we, I mean, we, this is where I think the Holy Spirit, we just have to have the Holy Spirit like never before. Because he is the one who leads and guides us into truth and gives us revelation. Because truly how the two generational worldviews hear truth and understand truth are so drastically different. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more um, next. Any other questions that I can respond to? Okay, I'll just end on this um, 
point that if you uh, do want uh, to get my email newsletter, I'm just going to pass this around, stick your card, your business card, or just write your name on a, an email on a piece of paper, and then I'll do a drawing for two of my books. Um, okay, so one thing, you know, the other thing I'll say is that on my website, I have these PowerPoint presentations for you. So if you go to the resources page at the bottom, it's recent events. Click on that, and it'll pull up my PowerPoint presentation for you. Um, so you can see this. I won't go over this in detail, but one thing I just want to say is I think you can do your business. Yeah, put your business card, or if you just have a piece of paper with your name and email on it, you can stick that in the big, um, little bag, whichever one. Um, millennials really, I, I believe that they need trusted mentors and coaches. And I say this, good, bad, or good cop, bad cop. So often people are like, how do we invest in them? And often people tend to take one approach or the other. You know, be really super friendly, friendly, just buddy with them, or just like, like you're saying, glare at them when they have their phone out in church, you know? So, but they really need both. And you don't earn the right to speak into their life and give correction unless you do the caring about their life first. Um, so we really have to play uh, that role <clears throat> with both. Um, Let's see. Some effective intergenerational leader strategies. Emotional intelligence is going to be vital. Understanding why people feel so strongly. This is such an emotional topic because values and worldviews and behaviors are who we are. So when another generation is criticizing them or pushing back against them, it is very emotional. So leaders who are leading intergenerational teams just need high intelligence, uh, emotional intelligence to kind of navigate that. Ask good questions and listen. This is the number one thing. I, I observed a leader this week who walked into a setting and just started talking at her followers. And I was like, stop. <laughs> you have to ask questions. You have to find out where your people are at. She was just assuming that they were at a certain place. And I'm looking at the crowd. I'm like, no, this person's here. This person's here. So always start by asking questions. Get feedback. Have open door policy. Be sure that you're approachable and that you're not defensive with whatever answers or responses are given. And that's going to give you insight into where your team is really at and how you can kind of navigate that. Really important, understand the differences and then educate the team on how each other thinks. You know, this understanding is so vital. In my book, I actually have discussion questions at the end of each chapter that you could go through with an intergenerational team. And then there's some assessments at the back that you could assess how your team is doing with intergenerational kind of uh, dynamics. Okay? So let's, um, is this around the room? Okay. So I'll just draw two of these and give away a couple free books. Chris Johnson. Okay. Here you are, sir. And like I said, I have a booth out there, so just stop by and talk to me if you get a minute. And Chris Morrison, it's a day for Chris's. Okay, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know you have to go to your next workshop, but um, just let me know if I can answer any questions.